episode of the Data Protection and Privacy podcast is brought to you by The Trust Bridge, www.thetrustbridge.co.uk. Today's offer, try one of our accredited courses for £1. Go to www.thetrustbridge.co.uk forward slash 2020 training. This episode of the Data Privacy Protection Podcast is brought to you by ADPP, the Arena for Data Protection Professionals. Visit www.digitalarena.co and join us to get access to member benefits and entry to our networking events. Today's offer, save 25% on annual membership using the code LIA25. The price will be £112.50 instead of £150 for annual membership. www.digitalarena.co Hi, this is Dave Clark. Um, today we're talking to Emma Hall, um, Global Privacy Lead and Legal Counsel for a global property firm. Really excited to have a chat with her today. Um, Emma, um, I don't know if you kind of want to just say, how, how did you kind of get into a position where you're dealing on, on, on a global basis and an international basis and dealing with GDPR and data protection? Yeah, um, well, uh, privacy is the, is the way forward. I've always had an interest in it. Um, about five years before GDPR, I kind of saw it coming. Um, yeah. Being an area that I was really interested in, um, I sort of specialised in this in that area as a law, lawyer. And then I developed the um, practical operational skills to marry up with the legal skill set, which sort of led me on sort of EPA yeah. roles and group heads of privacy type roles. Right now, I, I'm at a world leader in a property service company, um, which is very exciting. And I'm UK focused and potentially rolling out sort of a, a structured program uh, globally. That's amazing. What, what kind of challenges uh, are you, do you get, you know, in the kind of property field? Do you see a lot of SARS or, you know, do you, do you have to kind of manage a load of websites with privacy notices? Where, where, where's the kind of balance and what do you need to focus on? Yeah, kind of the hot areas um, in GDPR wise at the moment. Um, I think it depends on the company and how well they treat their customer. My current uh, company is very customer centric and they're doing they're sort of really leading the way in customer centricity and putting the customer at the heart of everything that they do. Um, and I think one of the reasons that I was attracted to them and one of the reasons they brought me on is because, you know, I always put the customer at the heart of privacy. And I think mm. we can build uh, commercial functionality and growth through building customer trust, which seems to be um, supported across many industries. That's interesting because there, there's a report just out. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it by Cisco, and they they interviewed I don't know thousands of companies on their their privacy stance, and they're kind of saying that the bulk of their customers are seeing a two and a half times return on investment of what they invest in privacy and data protection. Yeah, absolutely. So this year, it's all about unlocking the value in customers' data. Mm. So it's about re-looking at your database um, and seeing what you can legally use within it. And it all comes down to really going to digital and 
driving digital direct marketing, but obviously doing it legally. I mean, we've also seen that uh, people in general are a lot more uh, data protection rights savvy and they're not shy at exercising those rights, which is a really, really good yeah, thing yeah. and a positive yeah, yeah. step in the right direction. Um, um, so, yeah, we're, we're sort of moving in that direction. Off the back of that, I think from what I've seen within the privacy sector, I think there was kind of a surge after GDPR hit in 2018 where lots of people got bombarded by consent-type emails mm. which platformed GDPR in their minds and perhaps spread a little bit of misunderstanding about people's rights yeah. and um, you know empowered them to sort of write into companies. Again, I think it depended on the type of company and what they were doing direct marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we cer- I certainly saw an increase in say DSAR requests, erasure requests, and there was a lot of uh, explanation required to customers at that point, explaining rights um, and explaining what they were entitled to, what the company was going to do mm. um, and so on. Now in my, I think that's settled down a little bit and I think, you know, if your company has commercial operations which are very customer-centric and is very careful about direct marketing activities, then you're not going to generate as much complaints um, as we probably once saw before. Yeah. And I think there was a lot of consent fatigue as well around that time. So oh, where people were bombarded yeah. with GDPR emails, I think they were kind of a bit sick of it, which <laughs> platformed the motivation yeah, to, to complain yeah. in, in any way they could um, at that time. So we've definitely seen sort of a curve going up and down. Um, mm. it, it, it has sustained in an elevated state, I have to say, for individual rights requests. Um, but it has tapered off a little bit, and I think things are settling down, and people are just getting used to sort of the new legislative framework. Yeah, um, and companies are still going through a lot of change as well. No, absolutely. You, you were kind of saying earlier that you know you one of the the things that you sort of specialise in is, is operationalising uh, privacy. Um, what, yeah. what kind of challenges you know do you, have you had to overcome? You know, yeah, dealing, I mean, especially on um, large companies, you know, it's very different and much, much bigger problem. Probably the key thing is what companies really want is they want to make money from their business. And to mm. do that, they have to use personal data. And to do that, do that they've got to uh, treat the personal data legally, avoid complaints being sent into the ICO, um, and unlock the value in customer yeah. databases. So we have seen a shift from companies being afraid of GDPR and not really knowing what the guidance or law was and applying that operationally. So it's a legal translation into mm. operational commercial practice. Um, so we've seen a, seen a shift and companies have sort of been along for the ride. There is more guidance out, but I think it's still shifting. Um, yeah, and I think yeah. we're seeing a, a real drive and more appetite to do more with data. Um, you can look at some leading charities, for example, who took a very harsh stance stan- stance on GDPR, um, and I remember went that, yeah. for a consent approach, mm. and they effectively locked up their customer database um, because they they went a little bit too far. Um, there's, it, you know, it's quite complex, but companies want simplicity and operational practice and, and 
to support commerciality and commercial function and growth. Um, and that's where I've sort of found my niche is translating the rules and guidance that are still rapidly developing and on a yeah, global yeah. scale as well and syncing it into a demonstrable, demonstrable um, accountability uh, framework so that mm-hmm. you can demonstrate compliance. And through that, you can really utilize customer data sets um, and support commercial growth. How did you kind of deal with the challenge that everybody has to get everybody on board in the company, you know, get them trained? And it's not just getting them trained. They've got to understand it as well to make it useful. Yeah, absolutely. So it's been a huge evolution. So um, we've, you know, the cultural shift has probably been one of the greatest challenge. Um, mm. And I think companies are still not quite there yet. We're still going through that cultural change. Yeah, I think they know a lot more. People are a lot more aware about GDPR, um, partly due, due to the fact that every company has done mandatory GDPR training. And everybody's received tons of GDPR consent type emails into their inbox. So I think pretty much everybody has heard of it. But still, the culture and the appetite and seeing the value and the opportunity in the new legislative framework um, is key. Uh, I think, you know, going back to last year, companies um, were sort of looking at a tick box exercise to get through GDPR. And then they didn't really know what to do with it. It's now yeah. about sustainable compliance and doing things in the right way. That's a good and I phrase, think yeah. now we can start to see that you can actually make a lot of money by building trust. And public um, appetite has shifted as well. If you show that you trust a customer, they're going to come back. Customers want that. People want that. Yeah. So it goes sort of hand in hand. Interesting. So it kind of supports the marketing and business growth from yeah. kind of where you're coming from. Um, what, what do you enjoy most about data protection and privacy? Because I can tell <laughs> that you're, 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 you're so enthusiastic. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, well, when you put it like that, it does sound rather dull, let's face it. But <laughs> it's not. <laughs> privacy is the way forward. It's, yeah. um, you know, you can grow your company from it if you get it right. Yeah, you can destroy yeah. companies if you get it wrong and your reputation I think reputational damage is one of the major risks. Um, Nobody wants um, a bad rap for privacy or fines or sanctions or ICO investigation. Um, It's it's very exciting. There's so many little areas within the privacy space. Um, You know, data incidents, breach management. um, There's been some quite exciting ones that have you know, it's all connected to yeah. uh, police investigations and criminal uh-huh. activities. So there's that excitement. Um, there's the interesting point about, well, what do you tell people about how you handle their personal data? And more to the point, mm. how do you do it in a very friendly, down-to-earth, intelligible way? And these are all yeah. little challenges um, that step away from the legalistic type language. And just bring yeah. things down to earth. Basically, at the heart of privacy, is it's all about people. And um, I like people. What could I say? <laughs> I have rights myself, so I have a strong interest in it. Oh, amazing! What What have you kind of found maybe most difficult about you know the the data protection legislation? You know, to maybe operationalize and embed in the company. Is there any kind of particular factors that you think are tougher than others? I think 
Um, there's been various challenges that have presented at various times that we've been through. Um, for example, direct marketing has been a key challenge, particularly leading up to GDPR implementation, where I was working for um, some very large, well-known um, charities um, and sort of mm. setting up their strategy. People were very, very afraid of GDPR. So trying to set strategy programs... Yeah. Um, was difficult because it meant you had to really sell it and had to really be able to back up with evidence yeah. what you were saying um, to, to get the assurance from the stakeholders to actually um, make the decisions on um, direct marketing. And those were sort of key de decisions at the time. And they still are, but things have changed again. I think culture, for different reasons, is can still be challenging. Um, depends how mm. far along the evolutionary trail the company's gone. Um, yeah. I think yeah. there's challenge in what is the appropriate structure for privacy departments, oh, yeah, what true, is the appropriate good, yeah. resource for departments for effective running and compliance. Um, you know, I think companies are just about better realising what they need from a privacy function but I think the model's shifting and the way that that structure can deliver a service is also changing. Yeah, that's, that sounds, yeah, it is, it is evolving. I was on a panel a couple of weeks ago and, and the discussion was um, data protection, talking to cybersecurity. Um, I, I, do you ever have, how do you handle the cyber guys, the IT teams? Um, do they all kind of follow your plan and how do you get them to, to do that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it depends how the privacy function delivers a service throughout an organisation and what responsibilities are assigned where. But I think it's a part, privacy has got to be a partnership with all departments and cyber security is a very key component of um, privacy. Um, without that, you can't really do drive to digital small support sure. commercial growth <laughs> or anything else. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I've always worked really, really closely with the InfoSec guys um, and the IT department. And it's all about technology these days. Um, that's yeah. rapidly developing. Uh, people are going to the cloud. There's global mm -hmm. data flows. I'm not going to mention the word, but Brexit in the mix. Um, <laughs> you promised you wouldn't. <laughs> and all these other areas that kind of yeah. work together and they have yeah. to um, function smoothly for uh, sustained compliance. Yeah, that's really interesting. Do you, do you kind of um, get involved with any, not, not that I'm saying that you, there are many breaches in your environment, but if there were, is that something that you get heavily involved with, um, you know, 24-7 or is it something you get consulted on for the final decision? Yeah well the structure um, at my current company is a bit innovative which attracted me um, mm -hmm. and we have a UK part-time DPO and also an assistant and some, other, some extra resource so I tend to get involved with um, sort of the complex or serious stuff um, oh, well, as and when needed but um I haven't seen a lot of incidents, I have to say, because um, my current company does things, uh, tries to do things in the right way, um, puts the customer at the heart of, of matters and has fairly good organisational and technical measures. So I think those are all key components yeah. in reducing the number of security incidents that, that you'll see yeah, and definitely, have to deal yeah. with. 
And of course, not all incidents are reportable to the ICO, um, but you do have to behave and, and, and do certain things when when one is notified. Absolutely. Um, I saw an article the other day and I just wondered if you kind of had any views. It, it, it was somebody writing about how they would modify the GDPR if they could because they felt certain bits of it were maybe kind of too hard. And I think one of them, going back to incidents, was they would redefine the 72-hour period to make it mm. easier for companies. Um, yeah, have you got any areas of the GDPR you sort of think, you know, it'd be nice if you could modify them? Um, no, I don't know. I mean, all areas kind of bolster the rights. I mean, the 72-hour... Mm. Um, requirement can be tough if you don't have the right structure and resources in place. So I think that's particularly tough for smaller organisations where they wouldn't necessarily have as much resource um, on hand 24-7 type of thing. Bigger yeah. organisations, global organisations, less so, particularly where you partner up with IT departments who run service desks. Um you know, twenty four seven. So I, you know, I think that that is that just depends. Um, I think there's lots of areas in the GDPR and Data Protection Act two thousand and eighteen that um, could benefit with further guidance and interpretation. Yeah. We're only just starting to see sort of um, invest regulators' investigations and learning from those things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's a very exciting area because it's going to develop over the coming year or two and um, much longer than that um, and I think that will help enormously um, but going back to what to one of the questions you asked earlier what are the, what's the greatest challenges one of the greatest challenges is just staying up with all the changes and guidance that coming out that come out there's a lot there's so that, much have an effective program there is so much coming out yeah. isn't there and the, the subtleties make make all the difference I, yeah. I know kind of something I was looking at the uh, earlier today and and that someone had drawn a, drawn a graph of the the actions the data protection authorities have taken around Europe, and you yeah. could actually see the volume and frequency was going up and up. And if yeah. it continues like that, it's going to be kind of fearsome soon. You know, leave it another year oh, yeah. or two, and it, and it will be much higher. Is that kind of what you're seeing? And is that your? Oh yeah, definitely. Year? So I've been. Um... I want to say looking forward to, but I don't think that's quite, quite the right word. But, um, you yeah. know, when the regulators uh, around Europe and around the globe take action, you get more definition and guidance as to what yeah. you probably should or shouldn't be doing. And that's very helpful when you're implementing a, a, you know, a UK-focused or globally compliant um, privacy framework. Um, things are starting to come out now. I know that, um, you know, listening to the Irish regulator mm. and also the UK regulator, the ICO, um, they've taken their time because they want to get it right. They've done thorough investigations um, and they have obligations as well. So I think that, you know, might be, I can't speak for them, but I think that might be mm. one reason why we're seeing things trickle through. I know that in the recent weeks, the um, Spanish regulator has been quite active in certain areas. Oh, yes. They seem to sort of target certain areas, um, which is obviously very interesting to read up and read in on and then apply any learnings uh, where relevant. Yeah, because I think the Spanish one, I 
think there was a whole lot of discussion recently. They had applied the GDPR to an individual, hadn't they? And there was a lot of discussion whether that kind of should have been the case or does that work? And kind of fascinating, isn't it? You know, something, I don't know whether you thought of that, but I thought that's very unlikely to happen. And things like that happen. So I don't know whether it will hold or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you, you know, obviously, you know, we, we, we deliberately said we weren't going to mention the B word, but I guess, you know, every business has to do some kind of business with Europe sooner or later if they're not doing it already. Um, do you kind of see any issues coming up on that, you know, further down the line, maybe after this next year that we have to be aware of? Well, yeah, potentially. I mean, we still don't have complete clarity of what's going to happen. I mean, the UK ICO has sort of said, well, it's business as usual, and you know, through this transitionary period. So I think we can all breathe a slight sigh of relief. But I think most, you know, quite a lot of organisations probably would have started planning for the B date um, quite some time ago and might have mm. uh, provisions in place. And if yeah. they haven't, then we've got the transitory period. But we need to ensure global flows of personal data of course, um, of course, because yeah. companies are using data in that way um, and they will do looking forward to growth. So I think that's probably, you know, something that's going to develop. Yeah. It, probably get to it sooner rather than later. Wow, that's amazing. Um, great. We're, we've kind of been chatting, can you believe, for kind of 20 minutes, and I, I've learned tons. So thank you so much, um, Emma, thank for kind of joining us today. And, you know, hopefully we'll kind of chat again soon. So thank you for dropping Absolutely. in. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure. Thank you, Bye. Emma Hall. Thank you. This episode of the Data Protection and Privacy Podcast is brought to you by The Trust Bridge, www.thetrustbridge.co.uk. Today's offer, try one of our accredited courses for £1. Go to www.thetrustbridge.co.uk forward slash 2020 training. This episode of the Data Privacy Protection Podcast is brought to you by ADPP, the arena for data protection professionals. Visit www.digitalarena.co and join us to get access to member benefits and entry to our networking events. Today's offer, save 25% on annual membership using the code LIA. The price will be £112.50 instead of £150 for annual membership. www.digitalarena.co